0: Welcome to In Conversation, the regular podcast of eSharp magazine. Go to eSharp.eu for free access to all our podcasts to date. This is Paul Adamson. I'm in conversation with David Wasserman. David Wasserman is the house editor of the Cook Political Report. David, you're here in Brussels and making a presentation at the Microsoft Center. So as a kind of foretaste of that presentation you'll be making soon, let's look back briefly at the midterm elections all of six weeks away uh, before we talk about the future. Um, Pundits seem to be talking about those midterms ever since Mr. Trump was elected two years ago, when when the the events actually uh, panned out, were there any major surprises in the the midterms from your point of view? Well, the surprise to many Americans was how divergent the outcome
1: was between the House and Senate. Uh, This was not a pure blue wave in the sense that Democrats gained seats everywhere. They won House back by quite a comfortable margin, but they actually lost two Senate seats at the same time. And that's going to be very important uh, moving forward because the Senate has a lot of power in many respects, uh, not only to confirm Trump's judicial appointments to the Supreme Court and federal courts, but also to uh, to confirm Trump's cabinet picks, uh, which is pretty important considering how much of a revolving door the, the White House uh, and the cabinet have become. Uh, they also hold the final say on impeachment matters. So Democrats are are cheerful about uh, about taking control of the House, but uh, this
0: is also going to be a very contentious next congressional term. But presumably the Democrats realized a long time ago they're never going to really regain control of the Senate. But but the fact that the Republicans actually increased their majority that was a, a bit of a surprise. Then, well, if you had told
1: people that Democrats would gain forty House seats, which was beyond most people's expectations, it was at the upper end of our range at the Cook Political Report. We were anticipating they'd gain between thirty and forty. Uh, then most people would probably have not have guessed Republicans would have picked up Senate seats, but this is a function of our urban-rural divide. Democrats are doing really well in the suburbs, particularly well-educated suburbs, uh, and Republicans are, are doing very well in small town and rural areas, and the constellation of states that decided the Senate this year happened to be Red rural conservative states like North Dakota and Indiana and Missouri and and uh, and Florida uh, was a surprise uh, uh, pickup for Republicans in this election. That's a place that uh, that some people might say uh, has become Donald Trump's home state.
0: Okay. Well, before we talk about the, the results in the House in particular for the, from the Democrats' point of view and how they can leverage that or how, what expectation they may have to build on that for the election in two years' time, um, talk to me a bit about the, the potential influence uh, regaining control of the House means for the Democrats. We hear a lot of talk from this side of the Atlantic about uh, the various committees will be convening hearings and goodness what. What is the real significance of the Democrats regaining control of the House from that point of view?
1: They have the power to investigate the executive branch. And uh, with control of the House comes uh, uh, the power to subpoena documents. uh, And Democrats who are assuming committee chair roles each have a list of about 5,000 things they want to investigate (laughs) in the executive branch. Uh, Now, what will be interesting to watch is the divide on the Democratic side. I'd actually argue the Democratic Party in Congress is more divided now than the Republican Party because the 62 uh, freshman Democrats mostly come from competitive or Republican-leaning districts. Uh, there were even 31 uh, elected from, uh, from districts that Donald Trump had carried uh, two years prior. And these Democrats ran on health care and what they called the Republicans' tax scam, the, the, the tax reform bill that Republicans passed. So they were focused on pocketbook issues. But the Democrats who are in the upper echelon of the leadership and committee chairs, they really want a more confrontational approach in 2019 and, and 2020. So there could be some divide and emphasis in the party.
0: Well, we're only six weeks uh, since the, the midterms took place, and I understand the, the, new, the new House has not been sort of sworn in, whatever the technical expression is. But do you, do you already see signs of how uh, the Democrats will be using some of this new power to, to have these uh, hearings, et cetera? Have they already gone public on what they intend to do?
1: Well, it's widely assumed that uh, they will try and uh, and, uh, and subpoena Trump's taxes, right. uh, his his tax returns. So uh, that's within the purview of the Ways and Means Committee, uh, the, the tax writing uh, committee in the House, which will be chaired by a Democrat named Richard Neal from Massachusetts. Right. Uh, there are uh, Democrats atop the Judiciary Committee and the Intelligence Committee, uh, now, who come from some of the most liberal districts in the country, and they're under heavy pressure from their party's base to be very aggressive in, uh, in their approach to the the congressional Russia investigation, uh, and in in terms of uh, making sure that that uh, wrongdoing by cabinet officials is ferreted out. We've already seen uh, since the election uh, the exit of Jeff Sessions, uh, who was at odds uh, with. With President Trump as Attorney General, uh, we just heard the announcement that uh, the Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke will be leaving by the year's end. He was under scrutiny for potential misuse of his office for for personal purposes. So we can expect a lot more scrutiny and oversight from Congress of everything from Trump's campaign and businesses to uh, to cabinet members to executive pay, net neutrality, you name it.
0: You talked about the the, the powers that the Senate has, anyway. Uh, now with a uh, newly strengthened uh, Republican presence in the Senate, um, to what extent I wouldn't say the the power in one house, one branch, uh, cancels out the power on the other side uh, of the legislature. But uh, are they are they basically on parallel tracks. So the all these various uh, activities you just laid out for, for the Democrats will will champion from the House point of view, Will then the Republicans will carry on pre- protecting the, the president, in effect, and in the Senate?
1: That's exactly what, uh, what the president hopes. And uh, there's been a lot of attention, rightfully so, on this blue wave of right. Democrats taking back the House. But another undercovered phenomenon this year was the red exodus, uh, the Republicans who are leaving Congress. Right. Uh, not only because of defeats to Democrats, but also retirements, and uh, there were even several who lost their primaries. And those Republicans who are leaving Congress are are disproportionately skeptical of Trump. Uh, They are more senior, traditional members of the Republican Party who didn't share his vision, the most notable being the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan, who's leaving. Uh, but there are also senators who are, are leaving as well. There will not be Republican senators named uh, John McCain or Jeff Flake or Bob Corker. So that's,
0: that's good news for the president, then.
1: Exactly. And, and so the Republican Party in Congress will be more loyal to him in 2019.
0: So let's try and, if you can, uh, let's talk a bit about in the future, David. Uh, to what extent can the Democrats take heart and um, build on the, on, the, on the relative victories they scored, at least in the House, in, to, to fight the, the elections in two years' time?
1: Democrats taking back the House is a mixed bag for their prospects of defeating Trump in 2020 because now Donald Trump has a foil he can blame congressional Democrats for things that go wrong and he's very good at deflecting (laughs) responsibility Uh, but uh, we also have a a very muddled field of candidates on the Democratic side Uh, it's likely to be a very crowded field of contenders Uh, 2018 I would argue produced two really big stars uh, in the Democratic Party who came out of relative obscurity Um, The first is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who who defeated a uh, 20-year incumbent in New York City, running on a very uh, left-wing message. She's a member of the Democratic Socialists of America. She's also going to be, at 29, the youngest congresswoman ever sworn in. Uh, And then... Uh, But I should note, she is not eligible to run for president in 2020 because you have to be 35 under our constitution. Uh, But the other is Beto O'Rourke. And even though he lost the Senate race in Texas, he's uh, come to prominence as a potential presidential candidate for Democrats in 2020 because he built a, a cult following that a lot of the other contenders would do anything to have.
0: But other Democrats uh, realizing they have to do, but rather like the maybe the Republicans two years ago have a pretty wide wide primary field, for people who at least have the sense of making a, a a choice from a, from a quite a big pool of talent as opposed to maybe what happened a couple of years ago when it was basically Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, which was quite a small small field. Is that is that gonna, do, you, do you predict as best as you can quite a, a large number of people entering the primary race for the Democrats?
1: This is a Democratic uh, primary race that is looking like a buffet of options for <laughs> for Team Blue in America. And there are likely to be almost as many Democrats uh, as there were Republicans in 2016. But a crowd is not necessarily a good thing for the Democrats, and here's why. The Democrats' rules of how they nominate a candidate for president... Uh, give every state a a a number of delegates to their convention that are awarded proportionally depending on the results in each primary and caucus Uh, the Republicans on the other hand allocate a lot of their delegates on a winner-take-all basis and in 2016 that allowed Donald Trump to wrap up the Republican nomination pretty early on uh, after the Indiana primary in May and he had more or less six months to uh, to demolish uh, Hillary Clinton Mm. Uh, or, or to try and tear her down personally because
0: it took her longer to demolish bernie sanders <laughs> exactly
1: and and the democrats are at grave risk right now and i'm not sure they realize it uh, of a large field that can't resolve mm. until uh, about three months before the election which would give them a very short turnaround time to, to train their focus on trump
0: but it does not notwithstanding all that, David, you sense in the, in the countries uh, that there is a, amongst the Democrat base anyway that there needs to be some fresh blood brought in, and to be the the the, the ultimate chosen one to fight uh, Donald Trump, or do you think they'll, they'll not so much play it safe, but go to a, a more established figure such as uh, Joe Biden?
1: Joe Biden benefits from being pretty much the only established. Fairly moderate Democrat in the running, uh, at least for now, he he seems uh, to be leaning more towards it than than against. But it's not a given that he'll run. Um, he would be 78 mm. uh, in, in 2020. And uh, there are an awful lot of Democrats who look at the top three polling candidates and, and say, you know what? They're all in their 70s between Biden, uh, yeah. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren. And it's time for something entirely new. And that dynamic benefited uh, Barack Obama back in 2008 when Democrats were looking for really big change. And so in in my estimation, the the best possible candidate for Democrats and the, the biggest nightmare for Trump would be a young, charismatic woman without much of a political track record uh, and perhaps some national security experience, but I don't see one in the field.
0: I was about to ask you, is that a theoretical choice, or do you have somebody in mind when you make, paint that picture?
1: Well, I'll tell you this much. Uh, the most impressive candidates on the Democratic side who were just elected to the House right. fit those characteristics. But they the ones elected six weeks ago, right. Okay. Right, right. And, and so they can't just simply turn around, at least I don't think, and, and run for president uh, immediately after taking the oath of office, after having run for the first time for any office.
0: Okay, well, let's, one maybe be coming to the conclusion of this little conversation, David. Um, it seems to be now received receive wisdom that President Trump will definitely stand for, re- for re-election. Um, is that because he's actually enjoying the job and the, the power and all that goes with it, the trappings of power, or is it maybe to be more rather more cynical that he's just trying to avoid happened to leave and the, maybe some of the immunity he now benefits from by being in office?
1: It's an excellent question. Look, I think there's a non-zero chance that he doesn't run, maybe 10, 15 percent, but the overwhelming odds are that he does run in large part because he's a very competitive person and and would never want to go down in history with the word quitter Next to his name.
0: You probably hate having to answer questions where people like me ask you to predict outcomes, but uh, I'll ask anyway, and you can answer, you can bat it away <laughs> the question if you want to. But if you were a betting man, not just a pollster and an analyst, uh, what is your prediction for the outcome of the 2020 presidential election?
1: As it stands, I actually think he's a slight favorite, even though he has a 42% approval rating. I'd put his odds at winning re election around 50% give Democrats 40% and a 10% chance he doesn't run. How's that? (laughs) Uh, I'll go further, though, and say that there are probably only six states out of 50 in America that will decide the winner. Uh, It's going to be a very narrow battlefield, and I would say there are three closest from last time, Michigan, Uh, uh, Pennsylvania, uh, and uh, Wisconsin. And this new emerging Sun Belt uh, trio of Arizona, Florida, and North Carolina.
0: Okay, well, we have to leave it there. David Wasman, thank you very much for your time.
1: Thanks.